Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today, this day in the church year is known as Jubilate. It is the Sunday of Christian joy as we continue to celebrate our Lord's resurrection. Today's intro, it sets the theme, which is based on Psalm 66, saying, Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. A reading from the book of Lamentation speaks of the mercies from the Lord, which are new to us every morning, which is certainly a cause for us to have joy. Jesus speaks of the joy that a mother has when she delivers her baby and receives her newborn child into her arms. It is certainly a joyous day as we remember all mothers who are there, and there is much joy in these Easter hymns that we are singing today, declaring that Christ our Lord Jesus has triumphed over death and over the grave. Yet our readings also reference sorrow and grief. The book of Lamentations, Laments, it was written by Jeremiah after Jerusalem was attacked and plundered, leveled by the Babylonians in 586 BC after God had warned the people of Israel many times that they need to turn from their wayward ways. The city and the temple were leveled, her people by and large were deported, destruction was everywhere. People weren't even bothering to pick up the rubies laying in the streets because they could not even buy bread with it because things had become so bad. And yet, and also in our gospel, Jesus is with his disciples on Monday, Thursday. He is instructing them of things that are going to happen. He warns them that they're going to be filled with much sorrow. Sorrow will enter their hearts because they will see that Jesus is going away to the Father just the following day as he is going to the cross to be crucified, that they will not see him for a little while. And the world, though, will rejoice at our Lord's death, but then in a little while they will see him, for Jesus will rise gloriously from the dead. And Jesus also references the pain that mothers go through as they give birth. Many women have both joy and sorrow on this day, and some do not find this day to be joyful. Many of us can no longer send cards or be with our moms in person on Mother's Day, for many of us have buried our mothers. Some of us wish that our children could be with us or that they could send us cards but we may have buried our children. Some mothers are estranged from their children and no longer communicate. And some women desire to be mothers, but according to their station in life, perhaps being single, or according to barrenness or some other circumstance, they are unable to be mothers. One major issue involving both joy and sorrow that we must consider today deals with those headlines that began arising on Monday with the Supreme Court decision. If that draft stands, then the Supreme Court will overturn Roe v. Wade. And I'm going to give you a 
Christian perspective on this matter. It is not a topic that we can simply dismiss as political and not theological. In fact, there are few issues that in politics that have no bearing with Christian theology. If, someone is, if something is the law of the land in our country, it must either be found in the Constitution or it must be legislated and signed into law. And even legislation can be limited by our Constitution. The judicial branch, however, engaged in legislation as they legislated abortion as the law of the land in Roe v. Wade 49 years ago, as if it is somehow found in the Constitution. That is, of course, wrong. Even pro-abortion Justice Ginsburg knew and understood that that had been an overstep and an overreach of the authority of the courts. So now finally, finally, the court may recognize this error. They may actually overturn it, sending legislation concerning abortion back to the states from a, not only a Christian perspective, but also from a moral standpoint, it would be best for the legislative branches to enact laws that make abortion illegal. After all, abortion is murder. It is a violation of the fifth commandment. But many try to deflect what is truly happening in abortion as they assert that abortion should be safe, legal, and between a woman and her physician. But let's consider these, setting its, the record straight. Abortions are not safe because a baby is killed. And many mothers are not warned of the emotional harm that they suffer for years after having an abortion. Many women are haunted about what their child would be like had that had the mothers given these children a chance. Easy abortions enable our youth to violate the Sixth Commandment and refuse abstinence until marriage. Second, abortions are not legal in the eyes of God. And as it is written, we must obey God rather than men. So even if the state would choose to make it a legal thing, that doesn't mean that it should be viewed as legal for the Christian. And finally, the notion that abortion is a woman's choice or her reproductive freedom or between herself and her doctor is incorrect. Fathers cannot be kept out of the discussion. And plus, the choice is made when sexual activity is done to become pregnant. If the mother did not consent to that though, killing a baby does not make it right. One of my best friends from Vicarage had a child as a result of rape, a beautiful woman now in her 40s, and she would never have traded that child in for anything. God creates life. He uses the mother's womb. God has given women an extraordinary ability to bear children. It's truly a miracle. Many covet the authority that God has granted to men as heads of the household or having headship in the church or in other areas of life. But God has granted to women something that is far more astonishing and important than headship. 
and that is bringing new human life into the world. And as Jesus teaches, she has much joy when she sees her child. Having that child live is what God wants. He never condones the taking of human life at any stage in life. If anyone in our church is ever faced with the possibility of having an abortion, please come and talk to me beforehand. Don't assume that I'm just going to stomp my feet and judge and condemn. Instead, I'm here to teach. I'm here to counsel. I'm to show you God's way and what he, his will is. I am here to pray with you and to work with you as you struggle through issues in life. Also, if anyone has ever had an abortion, know how the church and God treats those who have gone through it. We are not here to judge and condemn as if it is an unforgivable sin and their sins are bound to them until they end up in hell. That is not the message of the church. Now granted, those who are unrepentant do have their sins bound until they are humbled by God's word and repent. But those who grieve their decisions, those who are tormented by it, those who have repented of their sin, they receive the gospel and Christ forgives them. He cancels out that sin as far as the east is from the west. God removes it from them. For when Jesus went to the cross to shed his innocent blood as the ransom payment for all sin, Jesus truly canceled out all sin. For Jesus is the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist stated, who takes away the sin of the entire world. What this means is that Christians can be completely forgiven of all of their past mistakes and regrets. When Christians who have supported abortion or received an abortion turn to God in repentance, confessing their sin, God forgives them. He washes them clean of their sin completely. God does not hold that sin against them any longer. And as Christians, we do not hold those sins against our dear brothers and sisters in Christ who have been forgiven by Christ and redeemed by Christ. And so we do not dig up the past sins of others, nor do we hold grudges against the children of God. Instead, we forgive as God in Christ graciously and freely forgives us. After King David slept with Bathsheba, he did not seek an abortion for Bathsheba, nor did he try to put away her sin or put her away as if she or the baby are disposable. But he did try to cover up his sin by trying to get Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to sleep with her. When that failed, because they were in battle and his fellow soldiers were sleeping outside, he was not going to go into the comforts of a place or into a tent or where Bathsheba was sleeping and stay with her. So when that all failed and David could not cover up his sin, he ordered Uriah to be placed in the front lines of the battle, in the fiercest portion of the battle, and have all the soldiers step back so Uriah is taken out by the Syrians. In all of this, David coveted. David committed adultery. And David was responsible for murder. He remained secure in his sin for a while, and because he was so secure, so smug, 
thinking that if nobody else finds out, God must not mind and he can get away with it. It is obvious then that he was also breaking the first commandment. But then God raised up the prophet Nathan, who called him to repentance. And then David, in repentance, prayed Psalm 51. He composed this psalm and he prayed it, a portion of which we will sing as our offertory before we take the offering. David prayed, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. This joy comes from being forgiven by Christ. David first endured the crushing burden of the law as he was finally brought to his knees, exposed of his sin, being the man who had stolen from his neighbor, who had, committed, who had broken so many of the commandments. Now all of David's self-security, all of his supposed might that he had as king was gone. But then God graciously raised up David so that he could receive the gospel with joy. David was absolved of his sin, forgiven in Christ. That time of joy, that being restored in the joy of God's salvation is often preceded by times of sorrow. And that is true even to this day. We can see an example of it in the scriptures. In Jeremiah's day, the people had to go through the hardship of being destroyed by the Babylonians before they could finally experience the joy of God's mercies being brought new to them every morning and the joy of returning back into the promised land. In our gospel, Jesus spoke of the sorrow that the disciples will face as they witness the crucifixion of our Lord, but then they'll be filled with joy because Jesus will rise triumphantly from the grave he also speaks of how they will weep and lament as they face hardship in this life, but their joys will have no end when they are received by the Lord into the gates of paradise. A woman goes through the hardship of childbearing, but then she is filled with joy as she holds her newborn child. Parents go through much cross and suffering as they raise their children, but then they see the fruits of their labors as they watch their children grow and learn and also as they pass into adulthood. Those who have, who have passed away have gone through the hardship that they have endured as their bodies weakened and as they face death, but then their souls go to be with the Lord and they rest from their labors in joy, awaiting the glorious resurrection of all flesh. When God has his way with us, accusing us of the law, we can find ourselves being very sorrowful for the sins that we have committed, for the evils that we have done, knowing that we as Christians should not be engaging in them, but then God absolves us, he forgives us, he acquits us of all of our sin, he declares us not guilty, we are filled with joy because we are reconciled to God our Father. In our own country, it has gone through the sorrow of wrongly making abortion the law of the land without even legislating it, and now it appears that our country will go through the joy of striking that down. However, many will militantly continue to fight for the right of mothers to kill their unborn children. Some abortion rights, are, or abortion rights groups are even staging protests this day on Mother's Day at pro-life Roman Catholic churches blaming them for the upcoming Supreme Court decision. Battles will be fought at the state and federal level. 
We as God's people cannot withdraw from the discussion claiming that we're pro-life but would never foist our views on other people. For an approach like that is about as ridiculous as saying that we're against theft but we're never going to tell thieves to stop stealing. It's the same type of analogy. We must oppose those who support abortion by showing them how valuable life is and how important it is to uphold the sanctity of life. We must always bear in mind that God willed to create that life. He formed and fashioned that child in the mother's womb. And because of that, there is no such thing as an unwanted child. All children are wanted, loved, and desired by our Lord. You see, our worth is determined not by what we think of ourselves or what others may place upon us. Instead, it is determined by God. He is the one who sent his son to become our sin and redeem us. Jesus died on the cross to give us life. This shows how precious we all are in the sight of God. Jesus describes us as the apple of his eye. We are so valuable, the very hairs on our head are numbered. And this reality includes those who are in their mother's wombs not yet born. And that brings us true joy. Joy in being children of God. Joy in having the forgiveness of sins earned by Jesus on the cross. Joy in being baptized into Christ. Joy in receiving the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Joy in hearing and the saving word of Christ. Joy grounded in the blood of Christ by which we are justified and sanctified. And, and so amid whatever sorrows that we face, we have joy because Christ has triumphed. He is the victor over death and the grave and he grants us the victory. And so, in the midst of cross and hardship in this life, we also enjoy that wonderful reality that our joys shall have no end and no one can take this gospel, the saving word of Christ, away from us. No one can take our Lord away. He remains our savior, our advocate, our forever friend. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. Thank you.